In this week's Parsha, Parsha's Truma, we begin a new really section in the Torah because the next five Parshas are going to be devoted almost exclusively to the building of the Mishkan, the building of the tabernacle, um, which was going to travel with the Jewish people um, throughout the 40 years that they were going to be in the desert. Um, as the Pasuk says in the beginning of this week's Parsha, V'asu li mikdash v'shachanti b'seicham, make for me a sanctuary so I should dwell amongst them. And this Mishkan that they were commanded to make then is really the groundwork for the later Mishkan once they came into the land of Eretz Yisrael. The Mishkan was first in Givon and then in Shiloh, Nov, I'm sorry, Gilgal, then Shiloh, Nov, Givon, until finally the first Beis HaMikdash that was built by Shlomo HaMelech, the second Beis HaMikdash later built by Ezra, and ultimately the third Beis HaMikdash, which will be built by Mashiach, may be speedily in our time. So that this mitzvah of building a mishkan, building a base hamikdash, building a sanctuary, a dwelling place for Hashem, is a very central mitzvah, um, and is therefore the subject of, again, the next few parshiyos in the Torah. We've discussed here many times the saying of our sages that they they looked at the grammar of the words, v'yasuli mikdash, make for me a sanctuary, v'shachanti b'soy cham. And I will dwell amongst them. It doesn't say I will dwell within it, but amongst them. That the idea of creating that Mishkan or Besamikdash is not only to have that one physical edifice that's a home for Hashem, but that ultimately Hashem must dwell and through the Besamikdash dwell in each and every one of our homes. And as we've been taught, that really we each and every one of us are 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 um, have that mandate of creating a Mishkan for Hashem, creating a, a dwelling place for Hashem in our own homes. And so much of that, so many lessons about how to do that, we learn from these Torah portions that tell us how to build the actual edifice, the Mishkan or the Beis HaMikdash. So one idea, and we'll focus on the Mizbeach, the Mizbeach, the altar, in the Mishkan and Beis HaMikdash, there was two altars, the, inter, the inner one, the outer one, um, and they were the center of the Avodah, the center of the service was bringing sacrifices, and that was um, on the altar. And let's learn a lesson from the altar. So, there is a Mishnah in the Talmud that, that talks about that after Yom Tov, you know, there was the Yom Tovim, Pesach, Sukkot, Shavuos, when all of Klal Yisrael, or large portions of the Jewish people, would come to the Beis HaMikdash. It says, at the end of Yom Tov, they would have to immerse in a mikvah all of the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash because so many people handle them, so many people touch them, and many of the people may have been impure. And therefore, we have to bring a, a new purification to the various vessels of the Mishkan and Beis HaMikdash. Says the Mishnah, but not the Mizbeach, not the altars. They did not have to be immersed. They could not become impure. Why not? So there is Rabbi Eliezer, one of the sages of the Mishnah, and he says that the reason why the altars can't become impure is because in the Torah they're called altars, they're called ground, Mizbeach Adama, even though they're not made out of ground, but they, they're connected to the ground and they're called ground, earth, and earth doesn't become impure. That's what Rabbi Eliezer says. So there's a special, uh, a special way of learning it from the Pasuk, from the verse, that an altar cannot become impure because it's called ground. The Chachamim, the sages, though, argue with Rabbi Eliezer, and they say that's not the reason. The reason why the altars can't become impure is because they're covered vessels, because they're covered in gold, they're covered in copper. And therefore, a covered vessel, 
the covering can't become impure because it's merely a covering. And the entire vessel is a covered vessel. Covered vessels don't become impure. So we have an interesting debate between Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim. Rabbi Eliezer would imply that really the altars could become impure. Um, after all, they're, they're made out of copper, they're made out of gold, and, and copper and gold are susceptible to impurity. But it's just, again, he has this, uh, because the Torah calls it ground, it doesn't. The Chachamim say, yeah, it's made out of gold, it's made out of copper, but the gold and copper are merely a cover, and as such cannot become impure. In a fascinating, lengthy talk, the Rebbe, um, the Rebbe talks about and explores the depth of this debate. Why is it that Rebbe Eliezer felt that they could become impure, theoretically, and the Chachamim say, no, something that's covered, a covered vessel will not become impure. And the Rebbe, again, it's a very lengthy talk, and I want to bring up one idea. He says that really, Rebbe Eliezer was a disciple of the school of Shammai. We know there was two great schools of thought in the Mishnah. There was the base Shammai, the school of Shammai, the school of Hillel. Rebbe Eliezer followed the school of Shammai, was a disciple of Shammai. And the Chacham and the sages were part of the, um, the school of Hillel. And one of the deep philosophical and halachic debates between Shammai and Hillel was how to determine, um, how to look at something. When you have something that at face value the way you initially see it, it appears a certain way. But when you look deeper and look into the details, you see it's, it's different. It's not the way it appeared at initial face value. Which way becomes the determining factor of how to halachically look at this particular situation or item? Do we go by the face value, the way it seems, or do we look deeper and determine its halachic qualities not based on its face value, but based on what we were able to understand by looking deeper into the details of any particular item. And let me give you perhaps two quick examples. There is a great mitzvah to make a chassan and kala happy by their wedding. By their wedding, their wedding day, their wedding night, the following, the subsequent week. And we do, we, 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 we actually put an effort to, to give them simcha, to, to make, to help them rejoice. So one of the ways is we compliment them. And Basilel, the, the disciples of Hillel said, a kala, you always compliment the kala, you tell the kala how beautiful she is. You tell the chassan how beautiful his kala, how, how beautiful the bride is. The, the disciples of Shammai said, how can you always say she's beautiful? What if she's not? What if she's lame? What if she's blind? What if she's just very not beautiful? Doesn't the Torah say, midvar sheker tirchok, one is not allowed to lie? How do you just say someone's beautiful? And Basila says no. He says no. When someone buys something, you, you, you try to praise it to them. That's what they say. And the question is, how did Hillel answer the question of Shammai? What are they arguing about? After all, Shammai is right. You're not allowed to lie. How do you just say someone is beautiful? And the answer is, true, at face value, this person might not be beautiful. But every person, if you look deeper into them, are gonna, you're going to find beautiful aspects about them and beautiful, um, and, and beautiful parts to them. And therefore, this... This chassan, this, this groom who married this bride, there's no doubt that he sees the beauty in her. And therefore, when we praise this, this kala and we say she's beautiful, though at face value she's not, says Hillel, don't judge the book by his cover. Beauty is not determined by face value. Look deeper and you'll find beauty. And therefore, to say that she's beautiful is not a lie. Another famous story about Shammai and Hillel, the Gemara says that there were a few prospective converts that came to both Shammai and Hillel, and each of them came with, with uh, very absurd conditions. Uh, one said, teach me the entire, uh, I want to become Jewish if you teach me the entire Torah as I stand on one foot. The other said, 
um, I, I want to become Jewish if you make me the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. Another said, I want to become a Jewish, but only teach me the, uh, the, uh, the actual written Torah, not the oral tradition. And in all cases, Shammai said, you know, get lost. He says, obviously, this is not a person who's serious about conversion. The person doesn't want to really accept the Torah. Hillel, the Gemara says, converted them, taught them, and brought them to a point where they were fully accepting of every area of the Torah. And here again, the question, what was the difference? Why did Shammai tell them that he would not convert them? And why did Hillel, yes, convert them? And the Rebbe says, it followed their line of thinking. Shammai halachically rules based on face value. These people at face value were not serious converts. They were not really looking to accept the Torah. They had their, their, their interesting conditions. And Shammai said, these, these the conditions that they're making show that they're not serious about accepting the Torah, and therefore they should not be converted. Hillel looked deeper into them. And Hillel looked beyond the face value and what it seemed from the conditions that they were stipulating and saw that these were truly faithful people and truly serious people. He was able to see that, convert them, and reveal that within them as well. Says the Rebbe, that this debate between Rabbi Eliezer and the sages about the Mizbeach is really, is really a, um, an outcome of their general philosophical and halachic debate. The Mizbeach was gold or was copper. That's what it looked like. And therefore Rabbi Eliezer was a disciple of Shammai and he rules based on face value. He says, no good, this is something that should become impure. And therefore he had to find a verse that because of that verse, it retains purity. The sages followed Hillel's way of thinking, and they said no, they said, it looks like it's copper, it looks like it's gold, but it's merely a covering. They're covered vessels, it's not really, don't look at it like copper and gold that accept impurity, they become impure. Rather, they're covered vessels, the copper and the gold are merely an external covering, and therefore this does not become impure because it's merely a covered vessel. So the idea over here, and bringing it back to us, we talk about the Mizbeah, we talk about the altar as being a center of the avodah, of the service of a Jew. And many times we look at a person, and the person looks like their service is very, very weak. They look spiritually quite ugly. And here comes the message of Hillel. We know halachically we always rule with Hillel, not Shaman. And the message of Hillel, the message of the sages, the message of the halacha is, don't judge a book by its cover. And though sometimes a person might look ugly physically and more importantly spiritually, look deeper. Look deeper like Hillel said, yes, it's a beautiful bride, though perhaps you didn't see that at first glance. Yes, it's a meaningful convert. It's someone who really means it and can be the real deal if you only give them the chance. Don't judge it by its cover. And in our avodas Hashem, in our service, when we see a friend, when we see someone else, and sometimes when we see ourselves, and we, we judge ourselves and we judge our friends harshly, because it's pretty ugly on the outside. Understand it's only on the outside. Understand it's only a covered vessel, in, in eternally, um, internally that is. Internally is beautifully uh, beautiful, internally it's holy, internally, internally it's a soul, a part of Hashem, and should be treated as such and will be revealed to be as such as well. Have a wonderful Shabbos.